0: Meet Bob Olson. Bob's the author of Answers About the Afterlife and the host of Afterlife TV. A private investigator who began investigating life after death in 1999, Bob now records his interviews with experts, authors, and people who've had extraordinary experiences so he can share it all with you. Enjoy the show. Hi everybody, Bob Olson here with Afterlife TV. This is where we search for evidence of life after death. You can find us at AfterlifeTV.com. I'm so excited about today's guest. His name is Robert Schwartz. Uh, he wrote a book called Your Soul's Plan. And uh, i got to read the, t- the subtitle to it actually because it explains exactly uh, everything that that book is about. Discovering the real meaning of the life you planned before you were born. Uh, this subject, uh, which covers what we're going to be talking about today to answer this question of do our souls plan our challenges, struggles, and sufferings before our birth. You know, a lot of people have asked uh, over the years, you know, uh, why does God uh, allow, you know, people to suffer? And, you know, I've heard, you know, why, uh, what's the other question? There's a book out there, um, why do bad things happen to good people, all that sort of thing. You know, this is what this book is all about. Let me just start by welcoming you, Robert, uh, to Afterlife TV. It's, It's an honor to have you
1: here. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I'm really excited because it does answer that those questions for, that a lot of people have uh, when we go through difficult things in our lives. We're off, often wondering, you know, are we being punished? You know, you know, did, did we do something wrong, or you know, are we? Are we not, you know, is nobody recognizing? Is the universe not recognizing that we're going through these difficult things? And, and why is it happening? We have so many questions. Your book and your research ha- answers that for us in such an articulate way. You know, I've, I've been researching this field since 1999. This is not the first time I thought about this. I've even written about this subject. Uh, but n- when I read your book, I was absolutely amazed to the point where I thought, uh, this guy, not only does he get it, like, he gets it better than I get it. Like, you can answer this question uh, better than I have ever even tried to, but the way you write is you take, you have this ability to take this very complicated subject and make it simple to understand. So I appreciate that from you,
1: really. Thank you. Uh, That's a great compliment. Thank you.
0: Well, why don't we jump right into it? Because that's what I like to do here on Afterlife TV. We'll jump right into the question, and and then we'll talk uh, a little bit more about some uh, some. We'll talk a little bit more about the book and some other things that you're going to be doing towards the end. How would you answer that question? Do our souls plan our challenges, struggles, and sufferings before birth? And if your answer is yes, maybe you could explain why.
1: Sure. Uh, Bob, let me just begin by telling your viewers that I have a website at YourSoulsPlan.com and they can download a large portion of the book for free at YourSoulsPlan.com.
0: That's nice. That's great. Uh,
1: But to answer your question, I certainly believe that we, or rather our souls, plan our biggest challenges for us prior to birth. And what I've seen in my research, and I'll just rattle these off quickly and then we can talk about them as you like. The main reasons our souls plan big challenges for us are one, to balance karma, two, healing, three, in service to others, four, in order to experience contrast, and now a fifth one that's just come up in the research for, for my new book, which comes out in a few months, and that is to heal false beliefs. Those are the big five reasons.
0: Wow. I'm writing those down because they're so important, and so let's get back to those a little later. Um, Uh, In the interview, let's start because I know we're going to talk a lot about these two concepts. Uh, Maybe you can uh, maybe define them a little bit for us and explain their roles. I'm talking about the concepts of spirit guides and soul groups. Uh, what, what What do you have to say about those two things?
1: Well, the soul group, Bob, as I understand it, is a collection of souls who are at more or less the same evolutionary stage. So you and the other members of your soul group will reincarnate repeatedly together, playing every conceivable role in service to each other so that you can learn and grow. So you and the members of your soul group will be, for example, father and daughter, mother and son, husband and wife, brother and sister, best of friends, mortal enemies, and even murderer and the one who is murdered. At the soul level, there's no judgment about any of these roles. They're all played out in service to each other for learning, for growth a spirit guide is a highly evolved non-physical being who helps the soul and who helps us plan the life prior to birth so what will happen at the soul level basically the soul will create the life plan then the soul will take a portion of its energy that energy becomes you the personality that's going to incarnate you are informed of what the life plan will be you are shown scenes from your upcoming life and then you have an opportunity to agree to the plan or you also have an opportunity to say, uh, no, I don't agree to the plan or you can express fears, worries, doubts or concerns. Most personalities will agree to the plan uh, as it's conceived of by the soul. Occasionally a personality says no and then the plan is actually revised. Sometimes the personality expresses fear or worry or doubt if that happens, then your spirit guides step in. You sense the greater wisdom of your guides and your soul. You sense the great love of your guides and your soul. And so when they reassure you that the plan is in your best interest, almost always, if you have doubts, they're assuaged at that point. Mm-hmm. You still can say no, but almost always, you would then agree to the life plan.
0: OK, interesting. So this is really intricate in a way. You. It, you make it sound nice and simple. I mean, really, again, you make it understanding and I appreciate that. Um, the intricacy of it is though, the way you're describing, it, I would. it would seem to me that our, there's so much involved. So because of our soul groups, because there's other people involved, right? Our spirit guides are creating these things, these, these plans for us during our lifetime, but because we're interacting with other people and we have all these other agreements with everyone, they must, what are they, are they a spirit guides communicating with other people's spirit guides in order to make all this work for all of us?
1: I think that's happening, I think also our souls are communicating with the other souls. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think as the personality comes into formation, the personalities have a means to communicate with each other. But when you talk about the intricacies, the complexities of the life plan, the way that's addressed is, as I understand it, and I'll, I'll use an analogy, this comes from one of the mediums with whom I collaborate, her name is Stacy Wells. Stacy has the ability to both see and hear the pre-birth planning sessions that occur prior to incarnation. And When we do the research for my books, we go into people's pre-birth planning sessions and we listen to the conversations in which these great challenges are planned. When Stacy does that, she sees something in her mind's eye that she refers to as an incredibly elaborate flowchart. It looks like a flowchart. Now what is a flowchart? It's a series of decision points, and at each point, if you choose A, then X happens, if you choose B, then Y happens. She describes the flowchart as being so vast, so intricate, that it's almost beyond human comprehension. The flowchart represents the soul taking into account all the free will choices that we, the personalities, might make once we're on the earth plane. So it's not the case that your soul creates a plan and then everything is set in stone and is predestined. That's actually not at all what happens. The plan is this flowchart in which your free will decisions are anticipated by your soul. So it occurs within certain parameters that are set up by your soul prior to birth. But then once you get here, you have a lot of free will. And that's what makes the experience of incarnation truly meaningful.
0: Interesting. So, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about they talk about life, and they talk about spirituality, and they talk about the challenges that are happening in our life. You'll hear that word, you know, test a lot. We're being tested, or, or, or you know, we're here to learn lessons, or whatever. You you give this much more depth um, when you you explain it. But the way what you just said in terms of free will, the way our free will fits in. So we have these plans, but. We, with the understanding that our free wills are going to allow us to make choices that could take us in maybe an infinite number of directions, yes. um, that's we're not really being. That's not really being tested. How would you describe that if it, if we were to use another phrase other than being tested?
1: The the term that I've come to use is divine virtues. We are here to develop on behalf of our souls certain divine virtues and then express them on the physical plane in ways that they can't really be expressed in the non-physical realm. So what are the divine virtues? What I see in my research on pre-birth planning is a collection of 30 to 35 qualities that come up more often than others in the pre-birth planning sessions. These are the divine virtues or the qualities the soul wants to cultivate and express in the physical realm. They are things like compassion, unconditional love, self-love, patience, forgiveness, empathy. Uh, uh, One that's not so obvious that comes up quite a bit is self-referencing. What does that mean? It means that you learn to look to yourself as the highest and best source and authority for all wisdom and knowledge, rather than anyone external to you. And there's a collection of about 35 of these that come up again and again this, I think, is really why we plan life challenges, because those challenges stimulate the development of these divine virtues.
0: And when I got from Your Soul's Plan, your book, I, I, you know, I, got, I just got this sense that through each lifetime, uh, we might take on more than one divine virtue, but not, not necessarily all of them at one time. Uh, we take on different ones during different lifetimes. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. What, what tends to happen is that there will be a series of lives that are intended by the soul to cultivate a small number of the divine virtues. Uh, most people, from what I see, are working on between two and five for the most part. Okay. Uh, I have a spiritual counseling practice in which uh, the most commonly asked question is, what did I plan before I was born? and so I take people through an exercise in which we put the list of divine virtues in a column on the left hand side of the page and across the top of the page we make a column heading for each of their major life challenges then I ask them to go down each column and assign a numerical value indicating the degree to which the particular life challenge helped them to cultivate each of the divine virtues. If you go through an exercise like that in a thoughtful manner and it can actually sometimes take weeks to do so. Mm. But what you end up with is a very clear visual display in which two to five will be assigned higher numbers. Those are the themes, the purposes of the incarnation.
0: Okay, and when you do the num- the numeric thing, is it one to ten, one to five, what, what do you usually use? Usually
1: we do, we do one to ten with yep. ten being highest and one being lowest. Yep. Uh, a caveat here is that if a person is in the middle of a particular challenge, Oftentimes they can't be included in the exercise because yeah. they don't yet have enough perspective, enough distance from the challenge to know which, cult, which divine virtues it helped them to cultivate.
0: Wow, that's great. Um, hmm, interesting. Now, uh, staying on this divine virtues subject, I would imagine that uh, our souls want to experience sort of both sides of that. So you want to experience joy, you want to experience sadness, whatever that may be, or the op- whatever the opposite of joy is. You know even you know I know that a lot of people experience fame, and, and that sounds like a great thing to everybody, but there, there are negative things that come with fame, uh, loss of privacy, that sort of a thing. Uh, is that true? do we? And, and I don't imagine we do it all in one lifetime. So in one lifetime we might experience one side of one of these virtues and another lifetime we'll experience the opposite
1: that's true we I do see that in my research and I I believe the reason for that is that there are certain qualities that are inherent in the soul and that really constitute the soul's identity these would be love peace and joy soul wants to come into what you could call a more profound self-knowing it wants to understand what it is who it is so how do you come into a more profound self-knowing well one very powerful way to do that is to experience the opposite of who you really are And once you experience the opposite, then you have a deeper understanding of who you really are. This is an idea that comes up uh, in a very eloquent way in one of the conversation with God books. And God asked the author, Neil Donald Walsh, to explain it using the analogy of the white room, which goes like this. Imagine that you are a white being in a white room. So the ceiling is white, the floor is white, all the walls around you are white. Everything in this room is white, including you. Now, if you are such a being in such a room, how do you know that you're white? The answer is you don't. And in fact, you actually can't until you experience something that is other than white. Then once you've had that experience, then you understand much more deeply what it means to be a white being. This, I think, is the crux of what the soul is doing on the physical plane. In the non-physical realm, we as souls are love, peace, and joy. But because there's no contrast to that, We come here to the physical realm to experience the contrast, things like sadness, as you mentioned. Things that would fall into the category of not love or non-love. Because then, when we return to the non-physical, the white room, so to speak, then we know who we really are. Wow,
0: that's great. So, in in essence, we come here to learn more about ourselves, our
1: soul self. That's exactly right.
0: That's awesome. I love it. Um, All right. If you can... I know uh, in your book you have uh, 10 examples uh, that range, that talk about all sorts of different things. Physical illness, death of a loved one, uh, name some of the other the other subjects that you cover. And uh,
1: deafness, blindness, drug addiction, alcoholism, uh, severe accidents, a number of major life challenges.
0: Exactly, and, and I think you do such a great job with it. I wondered if you could give us an example, it doesn't necessarily have to be from the book, uh, that because this is Afterlife TV, we have a lot of people who are grieving the loss of a loved one. Could you kind of, kind of give us, even if you make something up, a hypothetical example of how, w- why someone might subject themselves to um, deep grief in this lifetime you know, by losing someone not necessarily to old age that sort of thing but what we might consider an early death or an accidental death some tragic death maybe Uh, could you give us some kind of an example so people can kind of really grasp what we're talking about here
1: well as a matter of fact in your soul's plan there's an entire chapter called death of a loved one and in that chapter i share the true story of a woman named valerie who uh, in this lifetime lost both her fiance and her only son uh, in ways that we would consider to be early or premature. And what happened in this particular case is uh, her fiance died uh, literally two days after they became engaged. He was a deep sea diver and he was injured in an accident while uh, out at sea under the the water. And he died two days after they had announced their engagement. Her son, Dustin died at the age of 16 of a seemingly accidental drug overdose. And we worked with medium Corby Mitleid, who has the ability to channel the soul or the higher self. So in researching the death of a loved one chapter, I talked with Dustin soul. Corby channeled the soul. And we asked Dustin soul, was this seemingly tragic death planned prior to birth, and if so, why? And what Dustin's soul told us was that it was all agreed upon before birth, not just his death, but also DC, who was the fiancé. his death was also agreed upon. And Dustin and DC had their own particular reasons for wanting to have relatively short lifetimes. They made that decision prior to incarnating and also prior to creating a life plan with Valerie. Valerie then came to them after they had made those decisions and said, I'm planning another lifetime. I've been with both of you before. I love you both very, very much. I would like it if you would share this new lifetime with me." And so DC and Dustin explained to Valerie, well, we might, we might do that, but we're not planning to be there for very long. And they gave her the choice. And Valerie responded by saying, well, I understand that I'm going to lose you at a young age, but I will work with that. I will use that to foster my own evolution, my own growth. And so in the pre-birth planning session, we actually hear the conversation between Valerie and DC and Valerie and Dustin, in which they tell her they won't be here very long. And then she agrees to that uh, upfront in order to have them as part of this lifetime. Now, when Corby channeled Dustin's soul, we asked specifically about the drug overdose. And what the soul told us was that It wasn't uh, the quantity of drugs that took Dustin's life, but rather the decision prior to birth to end the incarnation at that time. And the drugs themselves were simply an exit point. You know, prior to birth, Bob, we each planned several different exit points when we can leave the physical realm and go back to the non-physical. You would take an exit point under one of two circumstances. Either you did everything you came here to do, or, the soul concluded that you couldn't do what you came here to do, and in either case it's appropriate then to go back to the non-physical realm. The soul went on to explain to us that had the pre-birth plan not called for Dustin to die at that time, the exact same quantity of drugs would not have taken his life. Mm. So here on the physical realm we think, well, he took too much of the drugs and that's what killed him, but it wasn't the quantity of drugs, it was the soul level decision to utilize that as the means to end the incarnation. It was exactly what was planned before birth. Then we asked the question why would Valerie agree to such a painful plan? Hmm. And basically, the explanation was very, very simple. It was all about lessons in balance. We were told that Valerie had a number of previous lives in which certain tragic things had occurred that knocked her out of balance, and she stayed that way for the entire lifetime. What I've seen in my work is that if we don't master a particular lesson in a past life, we often choose it again in order to master it. And this is exactly what Valerie did. She had been knocked off balance many times in previous lives. She wanted that experience again for the very simple reason that she wanted to master the lesson of balance. She wanted these two deaths to knock her way off center, but then find her way back to center over the course of this lifetime. And it was really as simple as that.
0: It's interesting, oh, there's so much to that. All right, so where do I start? Um, Let me just, one of the things, when you were talking about the drug overdose, it really made me think about, you know, I know a lot of people who lose loved ones for all sorts of reasons. One of the questions that, that they play with in their mind was, well, you know, this, it was their time to go, you know, this was, Some people wonder if this particular event was was planned to take them out of here. This is how they were going to leave. From what you're saying, it sounds more like, and so tell me if I'm correct or not, sounds more like we have a sense of when we want to go, perhaps after we've accomplished something or realize we're not going to be able to accomplish it. We have a sense of when we want to go, but then our... Uh, you can tell me, is it our spirit guides or our souls or maybe the combination of the two who are then looking for these opportunities? Ah, he's getting on a plane, you know, or he might get on a plane that's that's going to crash, you know, and so there's an opportunity for him to go. Because, I mean, even with the plane example, we've seen airplanes crash and some people actually live from that when everybody else dies. You know, how, how does that happen, right? Or why does one go and not the other? It's, is it true that you could kind of look at these as these are opportunities to exit and go back home? Is, would that be a great, a great word for it or not?
1: I think that is a great word for it, Bob. And I, I can probably answer your question best by sharing with you another story that's in my book, Your Soul's Plan. In the chapter on planning accidents, I share the story of a young man in New York. His name is Jason Thurston. Jason planned prior to birth to have a severe accident. And what happened in his case is that in the summer of 2004, he and his wife and their children were having a party, a summer barbecue in their backyard. They had a swimming pool. And at one point during the party, he dove headfirst into the pool, Mm -hmm. just as he had many times before. Mm -hmm. But on this particular day, Jason hit his head, on the bottom of the pool he was knocked unconscious and when he came to in the hospital the next day he was a quadriplegic. We did a session with uh, a medium in Chicago name is Deb DeBari, and we talked with Jason's uh, spirit guides and what they explained to us is that normally if the pre-birth plan did not call for an accident like that at the point at which he was about to dive into the pool a guide would have intervened in some way The guide could have uh, put the thought into his mind, don't dive in, or the guide could actually have physically intervened in some way, although that would be more unusual. Mm. But what happened in this case is that because the accident was part of his pre-birth plan, the guides basically stepped back. They let him dive into the pool, and they allowed the accident to occur. This is basically the same thing that happens in regard to... Uh, death, and the example you gave for uh, getting on an airplane that crashes, if that is part of the pre-birth plan, if it's one of the pre-chosen exit points, the guides will step back and not cause the person to miss the flight. Mm. If it's not part of the pre-birth plan, the guides may very well intervene, again, either physically intervening or whispering to the person such that they have a thought, don't get on the plane. And that's how those kinds of things happen.
0: You know it's so important in so many ways, but w- one of the ways that it comes to my mind is that I know that there are people who really get in their head. Survivors, survivors of loved ones who who have who have passed, uh, really get in their head that uh, about you know maybe they could have prevented this. Okay, and and they start suffering because of the fact that they feel like, oh my goodness, you know, I, I could have prevented that. Or if I had answered his phone call, you know, maybe he wouldn't have gone there. Or if or if I had actually given him a ride when he asked for one, you know, I was too busy, and I didn't give him, all these sort of things that happen. But, but what you're, what I'm getting from you is really, okay, yeah, maybe you could have prevented at that time, but there would have been another opportunity is he would have gone anyways, you know, probably soon after that. You know, is is that sort of the case here?
1: That is basically the case. The fact of the matter is that the incarnation, the lifetime will end when the soul desires for it to end. Yeah. So we can attempt to control and manage things at the level of the personality here on the earth plane, but basically we're not in charge. Mm-hmm. And that's by our own agreement prior to birth. We know that coming into the physical plane. So if the soul has concluded, that it's accomplished everything it wants to in the lifetime or can't, uh, in one way or another the lifetime will come to an end.
0: Right, and and, and it's very possible if I use that example of oh you know he called for a a ride and I wasn't able to give him a ride um, because I was too busy, it may have been that um, the spirit guides, your spirit guides, were setting things up so that you weren't unable to give him a ride or even influenced to say no I can't give you a ride, that sort of a thing. Uh, they're influencing not just that one person, but everybody else who's involved, correct?
1: That kind of thing does happen, and also the converse happens. There's one story I read about in which uh, I believe it was a husband and wife were at home. The wife was upstairs in the bedroom reading a book in bed, and the husband was in the garage uh, attempting to commit suicide. And fortunately, in this case, the wife was Clairaudian, so her guide said to her, Uh, He's in the garage. He's attempting to commit suicide, and she immediately ran downstairs, intervened, and prevented the suicide. So those kinds of interventions occur as well.
0: Yeah, very interesting. You know, the one with the pool, when I was a private investigator, I did a lot of personal injury cases, and I had a lot of pool cases where people dove in and became paralyzed. Um, And uh, after doing dozens of those, I... Uh, one time we were out with some friends, uh, we were at a, a wedding party and at night uh, in the hotel, we all went down to the pool and we were swimming and there's a lot of chaos, a lot of things going on. Well, my wife jumped in, uh, dove into the pool and, and there was this one place where all of a sudden, you know, the pool uh, was shallow and then, and then went really deep and she happened to hit um, that, that corner. Uh, with her head and broke one of her teeth but she was okay that was the the extent of it and I always thought wow I mean after having had all these cases and then seeing that like what prevented her from having that same you know tragic uh, result that I had seen with so many other people and it could very well be that uh, you know she was influenced to just maybe not jump quite as hard or turn her head just a certain way. Who knows? But, you know, I always thank, you know, thank goodness that 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 didn't happen to her as well. But it's just amazing to see how it could really be that close. You never know.
1: Yeah, you never know. I'm I'm familiar with another uh, true story in which um, it's the mother of uh, someone in my life. And this woman was driving down a multiple-lane highway. The, The lane ahead of her was completely clear, and she suddenly heard a voice in her head that said, change lanes. She'd never had a psychic experience before. She didn't know what was happening, but she listened, and she got into another lane. A couple of seconds later, a car from another lane flipped into the lane that she had been in, and she probably would have been killed if she hadn't changed lanes when she did
0: that's that's amazing and, and and i'm not psychic either um and and that same thing happened to me once i just i heard a voice in my head slow down I as i was turning around this ramp it was very icy and in, in new typical winter in new england uh i don't know why i listened to it at this time i was young you know i was in my 20s um i i slowed down and sure enough the car in front of me just spun out and went all over the place and caused caused all kinds of havoc and I was lucky enough to have uh, heard that and listened uh, and yeah, and, and escaped that destiny as well. All right, now let's, let's, I wanna ask if our soul plans every challenge that's in our life, or is it just the, ma- the major ones?
1: I, I think almost all of the major ones are planned and many of the minor ones as well but it's not the case that everything that happens that's challenging was planned before birth and that's true also for for events that we would consider non-challenging or even joyful it's not the case that everything is planned prior to birth you always have free will in each and every moment and you can use your free will to deviate from your pre-birth plan whenever you like and as much or as little as you like now normally if you choose to deviate from the pre-birth plan it will actually create more suffering in one way or another and that's the the universe's way of trying to get you back on track to let you know you're off the plan but even if you're on the path most of the big challenges will have been planned prior to birth Uh, it comes down basically though to law of attraction you know you the frequency that you vibrate at attracts things to you that are of the same frequency so if you make low vibrational unloving choices uh, whether you're on your your path or not that was planned before birth when you lower your vibration it permits challenging sorts of things to come into your experience so for people who would like to minimize the amount of challenge in your life and you can't do that completely because some of it is planned but if you would like to do that the thing to do is vibrate at a high frequency go through your days as much as possible in a vibration of uh, love joy appreciation and gratitude Mm. and that will draw to you things of the same frequency Mm.
0: well you just you you just answered a couple of questions of mine right there i'm glad you brought in the law of attraction idea because that that too is you know a lot of people talk about that you know and i and i know some people who talk about the law of attraction get themselves into a little bit of uh, hot water when they start telling people that they attracted an illness or something into their lives and the the reality is Yes, maybe that is, is true, but it's also quite probable that, that this was something, if, if it's a major illness, that they had pre-planned before birth, correct?
1: That's correct. I mean, we, we can all probably think of people we know who are very loving, joyful, happy people. Uh, if, so if it were purely the law of attraction like that, those people would never have any kind of major illness or major challenge. Yeah. So if they, if they develop a major illness, most likely it's part of a pre-birth plan.
0: And you talked about the joy the more joyous experiences. So do we do we plan anything like that, or is that just sort of a natural state around um, around all these challenges or a choice of ours to be joyful in the face of challenge? How's that work?
1: I, I think everything that you just said is true, but I'll I can answer your question best by giving you a story from my next book. I have a, a new book about pre birth planning coming out in a couple of months. It's called your soul's gift the healing power of the life you planned before you were born and in your soul's gift I look at the pre-birth planning of a number of different life experiences that are not covered in your soul's plan most of these fall into the challenge category and most of them are big challenges so it's things like uh, poverty caregiving adoption abusive relationships uh, incest rape are covered as well there's a chapter on suicide But this book also has a couple of chapters on things that don't fall into the challenge category, one of which is the pre-birth planning we do with our pets. And yes, pets are part of the pre-birth planning session. In that chapter, I share the story of a woman, Marsha, who planned prior to birth to be a dwarf. She's four feet, eight inches tall. That was the challenge she planned for herself. And it was basically set up as a challenge to learn unconditional self-love. But once she put that challenge into place, and we all do this. She planned to put support around her that would make it possible for her to handle the challenge in a positive way. Mm. Marsha chose to do this by planning with certain animals to be her pets and love her unconditionally in order to teach her how to love herself unconditionally. So it's, and it's fascinating. We go into her pre-birth planning session and she's there talking to her future dogs, her future pets, a future horse. Uh, there's actually a rooster named Crooked Beak who's in the pre-birth planning session. We hear her talking to Crooked Beak, and they're talking about how the animals will love her unconditionally, because she knows, especially as a child and as a dwarf, the other kids at school are going to be cruel to her. She wants to come home to the loving embrace of her pets.
0: Mm. You know, there's again so much there. Thank you for sharing that for with us. You know, knowing this book hasn't come out, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, a lot of people live with a sense of being a victim, and we know that. We know those people, and 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 we and we have compassion for those people that they feel that way. Even in talking about this subject and recognizing that their souls might have planned some of these challenges for them that they're going through, they still might see it as though they are a victim of their own souls' p- planning. You know what I mean? Um, but what you just said is it true then did I catch this right in that story that that even though we set up these challenges for ourselves we also set up all around us um, the the people the, the in this case the pets the uh, maybe even the circumstances uh, in our life that not only help us to maybe overcome these challenges and when I mean overcome I mean overcome them in our minds so that we can find peace with them. Uh, Is it possible, is is that the case that we set these things up so that we're not actually victims, where we've set ourselves up with challenges, but we've also set ourselves up with a way to overcome these challenges, both personally and spiritually, if not physically?
1: I I believe that's true and I see that again and again in the pre-birth planning sessions that we go into. We see souls planning not just the big challenges but also how they're going to cope with them and how they're going to heal from them. All of this is taken into account in the pre-birth planning process. Now, You talked about how someone could feel victimized by their own soul. The only way you could feel that way is if you didn't know that you had agreed to your soul's plan but in fact we all do agree to it we have choice and we're shown scenes from the upcoming lifetime these are holographic three-dimensional images that we go into we actually feel what we're going to feel so we know what's coming in the upcoming lifetime that's why really we're not victims at all
0: all right I love that a lot of people have uh, have heard this phrase that you know uh, you know, whatever life. Some people say God never gives us more than we can handle. Um, how would you, how would you respond to to that well-known you know saying or almost a cliche now? How would you respond to that?
1: I I think for the most part that is true. Uh, the one thing I would say is that I do see from time to time an example of someone who you might say bit off more than they can chew. Mm -hmm. There are some souls who for whatever reason are in a hurry to get back to the earth plane in terms of linear time uh, and sometimes they are not as contemplative in the pre-birth planning process as might be advised. There are actually instances in which a guide will say to uh, a soul or the incarnating personality you're taking on a little bit too much we don't advise that you do this then the person says, no, I can handle it. I, I want to do it anyway. Yep. And they ignore the spirit guide's advice. That generally is not a good idea, but it does happen on occasion.
0: Okay. Why would, why would someone do that? Why would someone take on more? Uh, aside from, you know, obviously thinking they can handle it and, and, and it being more difficult for them than they expected, but what would be the benefits to, to, to taking on so much?
1: Well, it's not so much that there's a logical benefit to taking on so much, but more the case that there's an emotional reason for making such a decision. For example, let's say hypothetically that in uh, a past life you were the uh, father of uh, another soul who was your daughter, and the lifetime ended in such a way that uh, you didn't provide adequate protection or support or financial resources or love or whatever it might be to your daughter. You might in your life review feel a sense of remorse or a sense of guilt around that. No one would judge you, but you might judge yourself. Yeah. So if you felt that way toward the soul who was your daughter, if you felt that you had let that soul down mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. you might take on more than you could reasonably handle in the next lifetime in an effort to make it up to that soul, to assure that soul that you really do love them unconditionally.
0: All right. Uh, So sort of along these lines, because you answered this so well in the book, uh, I'll ask the question, you know, so can we fail, can we fail in our, uh, in how we deal with our challenges?
1: It depends what you mean by the word fail. We at the level of the personality as human beings, we use the word fail as a pejorative. It's a, a word that connotes something bad, something has gone wrong. By that definition, there is no failure because your soul never judges you in that way if by fail you mean you don't accomplish everything you set out to accomplish but there's no judgment around that then by that definition some lives are failures it it does often happen that we don't do everything that we came to do but that is not viewed at the soul level as a bad thing there's no judgment from spirit guides or from your soul basically the soul's attitude in that case is let's try it again and that's about all it, it amounts to.
0: <laughs> you know, a lot of people use the word spirit. I actually I've heard you say spirit god, I hear you talk about soul, nobody you haven't really used the word spirit. Sometimes people will use the word spirit meaning the spirit that is part that part of our soul that's within this lifetime, within this body that we're living in. And then once we pass, that part of our soul, we'll call the spirit, then goes back and merges with the soul. Is that the way you think of it? Is that what your research has shown you? Or do you have different words for it?
1: That, uh, that is the way I used to think about it and did think about it at the time I finished my first book. Now, in the research for the new book, more information has come forward to indicate that the idea of the personality merging or reuniting with the soul is not technically accurate. It, it's accurate, as I understand it, if you look down time as a singular, linear track, from that perspective, clairvoyantly, it will appear to a clairvoyant that the personality is remerging or reuniting with the soul. But if you look across timelines, what a clairvoyant will see in that case is that the personality actually continues on forever. The personality is literally eternal. This is sort of a technical point. I'm not sure that it would make that much difference from the perspective of someone who's embodied and just wants to cope in a better way with their challenges. Mm-hmm. But there is this new information that has come forward to indicate that the personality is eternal from that perspective.
0: So my personality wouldn't be that much different than the personality of my soul? Is that what you're saying? or
1: No, What what I'm saying is that if the personality is, strictly speaking, eternal, Yeah and and I believe that it is, yep. then the personality that you are in this lifetime is not the same entity that you will be in the next lifetime. In other words, your soul has taken a portion of its energy and put it in the body that you know as Bob Olson. Yep. But it would not be technically correct to say that Bob Olson will leave the current body go back to the non-physical realm, and then enter a new body, the personality that's created for the new body is completely new. Yeah, no, case. I get that. I get that. And
0: yeah. for, for reasons that you discussed even at the beginning, that that we almost want to experience, uh, we, we might experience, first of all, a different personality that is very quite different than, we'll say, our soul's personality, In order to understand, for our soul to understand itself better, right? They sort of the the black, the white, living in the white room sort of a thing. Um, If white were the personality, uh, because that's all it knew was white, it might have a lifetime as black and then therefore now it knows the difference between black and white is that sort of or any color right i
1: i think that's true and i think that there are great souls highly evolved souls who from time to time agree as part of a person's pre-birth plan to play a black or negative role so to speak in service to that person
0: yeah that's so cool that's a great i love that i love that insight that's so amazing to me um You know, I I wish we had more time. Unfortunately, we're we're running short, and I have other things I want to ask you. Let's just ask this one thing. How does understanding this information help us in, A, in our suffering, and B, in our spiritual growth? That's a big question. I know.
1: Let me share a story with you that will answer that question. Okay. In in my first book, Your Soul's Plan, in the story on the pre-birth planning of accidents, I share the story of a woman named Christina, who is now in her 60s. Many years ago, when Christina was in her early 20s, she was employed as an administrative assistant at Pomona College in Southern California. One of her daily duties in that job was to pick up her boss's mail, and the mailboxes were in the basement of the building. So on one particular day, Christina descended those stairs to the basement mailboxes. When she inserted her hand into the mailbox to retrieve the mail, uh, there was a pipe bomb that someone had planted that day, Mm -hmm. and the bomb detonated. The force from this explosion was so great that it actually picked Christina up off the ground and hurled her ten feet backwards against a concrete wall. There were six foot splinters of wood that were shot like arrows out of a bow into the wall around her. Uh, Both eardrums were ruptured, two fingers were severed, and flames from the explosion scorched Christina's body from head to toe. When she got to the hospital. Doctors actually had to hold magnets over her eyeballs to extract the shrapnel from the pipe. So, we're talking here about a level of suffering that's almost unimaginable to you and me. Now, her recovery took two years and ten reconstructive surgeries. At one point during the two-year recovery period, she was lying in her hospital bed in a great deal of pain when she suddenly heard a voice inside her head, a voice that was not her own. It turns out that the force from this explosion, in addition to doing a lot of damage to her body, had opened up her psychic gifts. Christina had become clairaudient, and the voice she heard inside her head that day was a spirit guide. The guide said to her, you planned this. And so, of course, Christina said, well, why in the world did I do that? <laughs> right. And the, guide, and the guide told her, and here's what he said. The guide said, you wanted, before you were born, to have a lifetime as a gifted healer. And you knew, pre-birth... That if you could heal yourself from the devastating effects of this accident, you could go on to bring that wisdom and knowledge about healing to others. This is, in fact, exactly what happened. Christina went on to get a Ph.D. in speech-language pathology. She set up a private clinical healing practice. At this point in her life, she's healed literally thousands of people. Mm. Now, Bob, when I interviewed Christina for Your Soul's Plan, she said two extraordinary things to me. One was, she said, I have completely forgiven the person who planted the bomb. That alone, given her level of suffering, I think is remarkable. But then she said something even more amazing. She said, Rob, I'm deeply grateful to the person who planted the bomb. That I think shows you what can happen through an awareness of pre-birth planning. Because she came into this knowledge that was given to her by her spirit guide and then worked with it over a period of years, she was able to forgive the person who inflicted all that suffering on her. And then she actually got to a place of gratitude for the experience. You can imagine that if she had never come into an understanding of her pre-birth plan, she probably would have been angry, bitter, resentful for the rest of her life. She might even have devoted her life to tracking down the bomber and taking revenge. But because Christina came into an understanding that this was her plan, this was something she chose and agreed to prior to birth, and really worked with that concept over a period of years, She was able to forgive and then get to a place of total gratitude. She basically changed her entire life by understanding that it was all part of her soul's plan.
0: That's an amazing story. Absolutely fascinating. I remember reading about that in the book. and It just takes you back. Talk about the opposite of feeling victimized and and recognizing the healing that can take place in doing this work and understanding all this all this stuff that you've been talking about everything that you wrote about in your first book your next book when is that coming out
1: it should be out late march or early april again the title is your soul's gift the healing power of the life you planned before you were born and we look at the pre-birth planning of subjects like uh, suicide, incest, rape, adoption, poverty, abusive relationships, spiritual awakening, pets, uh, a number of topics that were not discussed in the first book.
0: Yeah, and and can people find out about that at YourSoulsPlan.com as well?
1: Yes, and the best thing to do is to sign up for the email newsletter on the first page of the website. Uh, the newsletter will keep people informed about the new book.
0: Perfect, perfect. Um, I. I hope people will just uh, stop watching, finish watching this video, and immediately order your Soul's Plan right now. They can get it on your website. I know they can get it on Amazon.com. Uh, can you show us a, what the cover of that looks like? I have an old version here, so that's beautiful. Uh, so, so they can recognize it when they when they get it. Uh, also, you're going to be uh, speaking live. Tell us tell us about that.
1: Uh, There are a number of talks coming up and those are on the speaking engagements page at YourSoulsPlan.com, but one I wanted to particularly call people's attention to, I'll be in Phoenix, Arizona from April 13th through the 15th uh, speaking at the International Conference on After-Death Communication. This would be a great conference for anyone who is mourning the death of a loved one to attend because Mm -hmm. you'll be in a community of like-minded people who are going through the same experience. And the speakers uh, will be sharing stories of near-death experiences and after-death communication. In other words, true stories of people who lost a loved one and then communicated with the loved one after they had died. And I think it will be deeply healing for people who are in those stages of grief.
0: I think so, too. I mean, it's invaluable. You know, there, you can't even put a price on that. It's invaluable to be able to have that kind of a, uh, a gift. Um, and uh, in the show notes below this video, people can find the links to all these things that we're talking about. I also, you know, I know that you work one-on-one with people, and I will tell you, having talked with you, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind, and I'm sure it does to most people, is I wanna do this. I wanna find out, I wanna understand this from my own perspective, from my own life, and people can do that by working with you one-on-one, correct?
1: yes i I do what I call spiritual counseling sessions, and primarily we can talk about anything anyone would like to talk about, but primarily the focus is what is the, the life plan the pre-birth plan what are the divine virtues the person is trying to cultivate in this lifetime and we focus on life challenges what the deeper meaning is and how to heal from those challenges
0: yeah it's wonderful and so if anybody is feeling like a victim or feeling like uh, you know their life is unlucky or they're broken or any anything to that to that uh, those words, uh, the reality is they could work with you, understand this better, and really maybe like Christina, was that her name? Yes. You know, recognize and be grateful for some of the things that they've gone through because of how it's changed them in in, in so many ways. Is that sort of the result that you're, you're kind of hoping for with those clients?
1: That's what we're always aiming for. And, and I would say to your viewers, Bob, that you know, if Christina can do that, given the level of suffering she went through, yeah. everyone who's watching this interview can do it. Whatever your challenges may have been, you can heal from them. You can get to that place of forgiveness and even that place of gratitude. If Christina can do it, Everyone can do
0: it. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's great. I love. I love that absolutely. Can you just finish off? I, I'm letting this go a little long because I want to. <laughs> I wanted to ask you if you could just finish off with one last message about oneness. You talk in your book about oneness, how healing ourselves heals the world, and if you could just just touch upon that, even, I'd be grateful.
1: Well, you know, Bob, we we are at the soul level, ultimately, one. There's really only one being in the universe. It's you, it's me, it's each one of us. We're all individualized expressions of the one. And because we are one, because we are energetically connected in ways that the physical eye can't perceive, one person's healing is everyone's healing. When any one individual heals even one issue within their consciousness, that healing ripples out. It's like the proverbial stone that's tossed into a pond, and then the waves ripple out in concentric circles to all the shores. That really is how healing works. When you heal any issue in your consciousness, you bring healing to every other person on the face of the earth.
0: Ah. Oh. This is going to be one of those videos that people are going to want to watch over and over again, just like your book. I know uh, so many people who have come to me and told me about it, even though I already knew They were so excited about it. But one of the the comments that I hear is that they keep reading it over and over again. There's something about the way you describe this. Uh, Thank you so much, Robert. It's been a a real pleasure to me, and I know it's going to be a great pleasure to our audience as well. Thank you so much. You're very
1: welcome, Bob. Thank you.
0: All right. Bye now. That's all for another fantastic Afterlife TV episode. Bob couldn't be happier. If you enjoyed this episode as much as Bob, please leave a comment on afterlifetv.com, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. And don't forget to check out Bob's book, Answers About the Afterlife. Thanks for watching Afterlife TV.